Uh, let's continue uh, reflecting on that passage that you have there. If you uh, opened your Bibles already, leave them open, and uh, we'll go through that together. I wonder if you've ever bought a flat pack from Bunnings or Ikea or some other company and uh, put it together only to find that there's some spare bits left over at the end and you want to know, are they really that important? Um, the shelf seems to be standing okay, let's just see how it goes. Or maybe you've pulled, up, pulled apart something electrical or mechanical only to put it back together again and realise there are some bits that, don't, that no longer fit. Uh, you must wonder, well, they, they didn't belong there in the first place, so just leave them out. Uh, in our passage today, there's an image of a living stone. It's a building uh, illustration, a building image, a metaphor that describes Jesus as being the most important part of a building that God is building. And the question being asked is, are we part of that building or we, are we excluding ourselves from that building? So far in 1 Peter, he's, uh, he's taken us through, reminding us that we're strangers in this world, exiles, we're scattered. He's not writing to a specific church, he's writing to all churches scattered in, in, a, in a region that's not uh, our modern-day Turkey. And he says that although you're scattered, you belong to God. You need to know the grace of God, the living hope that he's given you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what binds you together. It's this hope. It's this future idea that is bound around the Lord Jesus Christ and him being raised from the dead. Uh, he's not a dead Messiah. He's a living Messiah. And that is what gives us a living hope a new birth into a living hope. Know the grace of God and, and conform to Christ. Be holy because I am holy, says 1 Peter. Don't conform to the ways of this world. This is what he, the journey that Peter has taken us on so far. And so while you conform to Christ and not to this world, own the, the idea that you're a stranger in this world. Don't try to force the two worlds together as if they will work in harmony. Uh, uh, own the kingdom of God, embrace it, love Jesus, and he says just in our last passage, he said, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, you've seen that, it, that he is, he gives us eternal hope. He gives us uh, a, a promise of the future that this world can never, um, never promise us. Now that you've tasted the Lord is good, he is merciful, he is kind, he is just, and he has bought us at a precious price, the price of his one and only son. Now that you've tasted that, then embrace it, crave it like, like pure spiritual milk. That's the journey that Peter has taken us on. And now he gets to chapter 2, verse 4, uh, and talks about the living stone who he presumes you have come to. The readers that who are reading the book, he presumes that you have fallen in love with this Jesus and that you're now coming to him, the stone that is precious to God but rejected by humans. And that's the flavour of, our, of, our, of, our, of the passage tonight. Uh, the first thing that, that Peter wants us to know for sure, for certain, is that Jesus is God's chosen and precious foundation stone. It's a, it's a, a quick couple of words that come out in verse 4, but they're profound words that we need to just slow down and meditate on, that Jesus is God's chosen rock. Jesus is his precious, valuable, honoured Messiah, the King. Jesus is the one. So the concept here is that God, who is the God of all eternity, he is the one who made you and made me. We're not equals with him. We are creatures under his, in his universe. The God who needs nothing 
has declared someone to be most precious to him. The Lord Jesus Christ is the most precious possession. This is not just a new metaphor that Peter has come up with. Uh, the Old Testament has fed this, uh, this idea of a stone that God will lay in Zion, uh, the stone that God will lay in the people of Israel. He has built the people of Israel, called them out of Egypt and brought them to, uh, to the promised land and it's his established kingdom, his chosen people, and God through the prophets promises that there will be a stone, a stone laid in Zion. There's, two, there's three passages, three key passages in the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 118, Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 28, where this stone image is laid, pardon the pun, and Peter brings all three of them into this one chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 2. So Peter is like gathering all the metaphors, the, these three key moments, and putting them in, in, one, in one place to highlight that Jesus is God's precious chosen king, a precious chosen foundation stone the, the the verses in the old testament which which spoke of the stone that god's going to lay down bef even before jesus arrived it was commonly regarded that that this stone metaphor was pointing to the messiah that was all the rabbis uh, uh, concluding that the metaphor was understood as god's chosen one his messiah um, god's kingdom would be built on through and around him as the centerpiece now when jesus arrived he declared himself he aligned himself with that same metaphor in mark matthew and luke the three synoptic gospels all three of them recount when jesus testified that he is the stone that the builders rejected he is the stone that the builders rejected uh, so so we're, we're piecing this together right it's a very easy lesson to learn. It's not a complicated thing. Uh, but Old Testament, God is laying the foundation of one who is to come. One of the metaphors he uses is a stone that's being laid in Zion. Before Christ comes, it's, it's well known that this stone is pointing, is pointing to the Messiah, whatever he will look like. Jesus arrives and says, I am that stone. But the people rejected him. He is the stone that the people rejected. And Peter, the, the writer of 1 Peter, he stood up. Uh, before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 and said to them in Acts chapter 4 verse 11 he said this Jesus is the stone you builders rejected can you imagine being in the room at that point and uh, and hearing that uh, accusation the stone that you've been waiting for was Jesus and you nailed him to the cross you wanted him out of your life you wanted him out off planet earth you wanted to reject him and eject him from existence. You wanted to deal with him once and for all. Well, Peter says you can't do that with the most precious cornerstone that God has laid down for us. Peter, in, in Acts 4.11, got up and said, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected. But what's beautiful is that in, in 1 Peter 2, he's not just mentioned, uh, just not named as the stone, but he's named as the living stone. Uh, uh, he, he's not a statue. He's not a dumb idol. He's not something we go to and can pick up and move around as we please. He's the living stone. He has risen from the dead and he is Lord. And then in the very next sentence, as Peter stands before the Sanhedrin and declares that you have rejected the cornerstone, 
The very next sentence, in Acts 4, verse 12, Peter said, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's a beautiful moment of God's great mercy that Peter, before the people who would put Jesus to death, Peter is able to say to those same people, salvation is being handed out to you. That we all must be saved and there is no other name under heaven given. This is the one that God has given. This is the choice, precious, valuable, honoured, living stone that God has presented for us and in his great mercy, to use that phrase that Peter used in chapter 1, verse 3, in God's great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They tried to keep him down, but, but Jesus couldn't be kept down. And his resurrection shows that he came in order to save sinners like you and I. And so in even describing the living stone, we're met with the gospel. We're met with the hope of eternal life, that... Jesus didn't come into the world and we rejected him and that said game over. Jesus came into the world, we rejected him and God declares through the mouth of Peter, this is the very means through which you must be saved. Jesus' death on the cross, which you activated, is actually the means by which you will be saved when you come to him. You see, there must be a coming to Jesus. Peter actually is declaring in, in 1 Peter 2, uh, the chapter we're, we're focusing on now, Peter's, Peter wants to tell us that there's two responses to the living stone. Everybody is affected by the coming of Christ. Everybody on the planet is affected by the coming of Christ. There's no neutral ground. There's no Switzerland. There's no place where you can say, well, I'm not, I'm not in this argument. I'm out. No, it's like God has put a, a, an immovable object before us and there's either one of two results can happen. We either bang into the living stone like blind fools and smash our own lives, or we meld into the building that God is constructing. We merge with the living stone. And this is what uh, Peter guides us through right now. He's either the stone that we blindly hit ourselves against, or he is, he is your foundation stone, who you join and merge with. So... As Peter moves on to these two options, the first one is, of course, the negative. Jesus uh, Rejecting Jesus is rebellion against God. The, the first point that I made is important because I've tried to express that God has established this Jesus for us to respond to. And so rejecting Jesus is rebellion against God. It's to reject the, 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 the one true path of salvation. Jesus is rejected as we turn back to the words in in 1 Peter 2, Jesus is rejected because of unbelief. So look at verse 7 and 8. Now to you who believe, this stone, this Jesus, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Can you see in the text there in verse 7 that the builders rejecting Jesus is a rejection because of non-belief? I'm getting that exactly entirely from verse 7. It's not from mishearing or it's from an unbelief. We either, we either accept and come to Christ or we think nothing of him and move, move on. Uh, rejecting Jesus is to build with 
different material other than Jesus, to, to build your life around something else. It's going to be something else. It's likely you or your children or your uh, parents or your something. It's going to revolve around something. What does your life re re revolve around? Rejecting Jesus as the cornerstone is to build with, with different material and to be the builder. Just again, the language of verse 7 is the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Uh, we, if we put on our builder's hat, where do we start? Do we start with Jesus? It makes sense, actually, that unbelief and rejecting Jesus is described in verse 8 as disobedience. Uh, verse 8 says, A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Do you see the negative language here? It's not just that you've, oops, you've fallen into a hole and God will help you out. It's that, no, you've rejected the living stone, and that is described as disobedience. It's just described as unbelief, and it's described as rejection, and results in stumbling fall and... and uh, in verse 6, presumably it results in shame that those who have not come and trust in him will be put to shame. Yeah, we, we read from Philippians earlier in the service that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I hope, friends, that as a, as a Christian community here, we're, we're just understanding the weight of what God presents to us in Jesus. Uh, our hymns um, help us to flesh out many facets of who Jesus is. Uh, sometimes he's, he's a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. In, in, in 1 Peter 2, Jesus is described as a living stone and a cornerstone. The building block of, of what? Is it the building block of your life? I wonder. The, the DIY approach to life, that I, I can work this out, um, modern Western society, um, which we are all groomed and raised in, living and breathing, is a I do it my way society. I work it out. The truth is true when I believe that it's true. And the DIY approach to life, to reject what God has plainly given to us, to reject his vision, to his chosen foundation stone, his blueprints, and to believe that we are better builders than him, well, that's a pretty uh, easy or you know, low terminology description of sin, isn't it? I don't need to listen to God because I know. You know that old, there's an old um, TV commercial of a guy who was proud and, he's, and he was about to hop in a boat and he says, oh, don't worry, I know boats, and he hops in and he falls through the, uh, right through the bottom of the boat. I don't know if you remember that commercial. But the, the idea is that you, you're too proud to listen to other people and we're too proud to listen to the God who says Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. That Jesus is the way, only way to salvation. Jesus is God's precious, valuable um, uh, uh, cornerstone, his precious foundation stone. Uh, to put, as we build those ideas together, to put it all that way is, is, it's rebellion against God when we do not put Jesus at the heart of our life. It's rebellion against God. It's actually criminal when you put all the pieces together and work out that we have decided that we know better than God does, or at least we can tell him which way to do life. 
um, building out of this idea of what Peter is talking about, God will not tolerate multiple religions. You know, the, uh, the, the common view that there are, there's one God but many ladders that go there. God doesn't tolerate that idea. We've, uh, Acts 4 verse 12, salvation is by no other name than Jesus. God won't tolerate uh, uh, many views of how to get to him, especially or even uh, humanism, where the society just needs to talk to each other. We're basically good. We just need to educate one another a little bit better and eventually we'll find utopia. We'll get there eventually. But the Bible says that God has already created a good world that has been cracked by sin and, and the problem of sin has been solved through Jesus, who is not just the saviour, but he is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen, precious, valuable cornerstone. He's everything. And so all we need to do is to come to him. It's that simple, isn't it? Well, here's where we get to the, the third point. But just as I get there, um, you know, rejecting Jesus is, is, is a bit like rejecting gravity. Do you know the old Warner uh, Looney Tunes cartoons and you'd have a little cartoon character who ran across the cliff face and as he got to the edge of the cliff he kept running and he's just running in the air, happily running in the air, then someone hands him a book on, on the schooling of gravity and he studies the school, of gra- uh, he learns all about gravity and suddenly he falls to the, to the ground as if you had to learn it before gravity would actually take effect. It's funny because we know that uh, being educated or not about gravity doesn't change the fact that gravity will pull you down. Well, what we do with Jesus is, is immovable. Peter says that everybody is affected by the coming of Christ, the arrival of Jesus. And the question is not whether you will incorporate Jesus into your building. I think this is crucial. The question is not whether you will incorporate Jesus into your building, but whether you will come to him and be incorporated into his building. It's quite a profound difference, isn't it? Uh, It's the difference between saying, well, this is my house and Jesus, you can have that room. It's a good room. Versus, Lord, I come to you and I enter your kingdom. It's your house that you're building. And as Peter describes, we are being incorporated into that building as part of the building. And so this is the exciting, this is the, the, the glorious part of this whole chapter is to see what you become when you come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus is actually to be honoured by God. Uh, going, rejecting Jesus is to be rejected by God as we reject him. But coming to Jesus, it has, it has no zero f- effect on your life. It has a, a profound positive result in your life. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, we're told that God is the builder. Let me read verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. God is the builder. Verse 5, you are the living stones, the precious stones, valuable and honoured. You will never be put to shame, says verse six, uh, verse 6b. This is that before God, you will never, as you've come to Jesus, you will never before God be stuck in the naughty corner. 
You, you'll be never um, cast out of his kingdom. You'll be never put to shame when you come to Christ, giving your life to him. And look at who you are. Look at what's described um, of you in verses 9 and 10. Let me just read verse 9 first. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Just notice in verse 9 how you're described now as you come to Jesus. You are chosen, precious, valuable, honoured, holy, uh, royal. All these words that we would easily ascribe to Jesus, God now ascribes to you and I. This is, this is God's great mercy, isn't it? As Peter said in chapter 1, verse 3, in God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. This is how a profound thing that God is saying, don't just choose Jesus and is it heaven or hell. It's actually choose Jesus and you're, you are incorporated into the grand plan that God has for the whole universe. That is bigger than you can ever imagine. That is a plan that you and I, if we sat in a room of 20 people and, had, and for 10 years worked out what would be the best possible outcome for all of us, if we, could, if we really nutted down and put into practice all the best things that humanity could ever come up with, we would not come up with anything close to equaling what God is offering for you, for you and I in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. If, if God would just open our eyes tonight and see... What an invitation he offers us as we come to him. That we would be incorporated and be described as precious stones, precious to God. That you're a chosen people. This is a language that was applied in the Old Testament to Abraham and his descendants, that they were a chosen people, a great nation. Um, uh, the language of Isaiah 43 comes out of, of being a chosen people. A royal priesthood and a holy nation, uh, words that say you are being set apart for God, set apart by God, for God. And that's the language that, G that God used of the nation Israel in Exodus 19. We, we read that just recently as they came to the foot of Mount Sinai and God said, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, God's special possession. It is just amazing to contemplate that this is who we are before God and not not because of our greatness but because of Christ's greatness and look at what we will do uh, verse 9 that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light as we come to him we've come to him with knowledge and understanding that we understand that God has declared Jesus to be the son whom he loves, listen to him, that we've understood God to declare Jesus to be the precious, valuable, uh, chosen foundation stone, and we embrace him, and as we embrace Christ, God embraces us and says, you now are part of this. He has called us not just into a better building project. He's actually now describing our calling as, being, as coming out of darkness into light. That's the vast difference. Other parts of the scriptures talk about death to life, Ephesians 2. Well, in 1 Peter 2, it's from darkness to light. And the other contrast is that you once were not a people. You were not any significance. You were going to be born, live and die, and that's, that's your lot. But in Christ, you are being absorbed into an eternal kingdom. 
You're, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You are the people of God. Remember that P Peter has been saying, be strangers in this, in this world, conform to the kingdom of Christ. Now that you've tasted the Lord is good, crave pure spiritual milk. That is to live your life in Christ. And as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but precious and chosen by God, you become precious and, and chosen by God. What a wonderful description of who we are in Christ and why wouldn't we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We once had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. How glorious is this? It's wonderful. A, a little shining light that, that came to me as I was preparing this talk is something um, playful with the language. In, in verse 7 it says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Friends, this, there's a little interesting thing happening in the language there which I think is worth noting. Um, to, to you who below, believe this stone is precious, the word precious can also be honoured. And I think in context is better to be understood as honoured. And it's not that simply Jesus is honoured. That seems taught, um, uh, like tautology. To you who believe that Jesus is precious, he is now precious. But actually the, the, the language is more like now the honour is for you, now the honour is for you who believe. God has already declared Jesus as precious. Now when you come to him, the honour is for you, that as you have declared him precious. To God, Jesus is the foundation stone, chosen, precious, valuable and honoured. To God, you who come to Jesus are precious stones, valuable, honoured. So we are to live like that, aren't we? Peter goes on, our, our New Testament reading uh, went on into verse 11 and 12, which I won't flesh out today. We'll leave that for next week. But this is a turning point in Peter's letter. We, we've laid down the, the foundation, who is Jesus, of our living hope, that our destiny has been cast before us. Our destiny, when we come to Jesus, versus our destiny if we reject him. Rejection is rebellion from God, is a criminal act before the creator of the world. But to come to Jesus is not just to get a, a badge. It is to be honoured by God. That is how great his mercy is. Let me, let me pray and give thanks to God. Father, it, it's, our, it's astounding how great your mercy is to call us out of darkness and into your light and to do it at the cost of your son, to send him into the world to save us and to judge us that those who would come to Christ would be treated like we don't deserve, to be brought into your kingdom, to be called living stones. Father, I pray that I pray for those in our life and those perhaps here tonight who are still on the fence about Jesus are yet to embrace him as if life and death depends on it. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be working uh, even now to move us from darkness into light. Lord, help us to take that plunge and to run 
full pelt away from the things of this world and into your arms. We thank you that the invitation is so welcoming, that the cost has already been paid, and we're invited to a little discomfort in this life in order to be embraced by you for all eternity. Lord, please grow in us this seed of faith, uh, grow in us a maturity that uh, grows up in Christ as we crave the pure spiritual milk and turn away from the things of this world and sing the praises of you who called us out of darkness and into your marvellous light. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.